0: Welcome to episode 13 of the Fasting Well podcast. Today I'll be talking about something called dirty fasting, also known as modified fasting, and it may have some other names as well. And I'll be contrasting that with clean fasting. So I'm gonna give an overview of this topic and give you some practical tips as well. I'll explain what each type of fasting means, what's included, and what the pros and cons of each one are. And I think armed with this information, you'll be in a better position to make decisions about what type of fasting makes sense for your situation, because some types of fasting are easier than others, and they have slightly different benefits. But chances are you can get most of the health benefits you're looking for by doing a somewhat easier version of fasting. So that's kind of the whole point behind this. So I'll give that high-level overview along with some practical tips, and also share a couple stories. And at the end, I'll share an additional resource, a PDF that I've created that provides an overview of dirty fasting versus clean fasting and some things you can use during each and the pros and cons of each so that you can more easily see what would be a good fit for you and also have some specific ideas about what you can utilize during each type of fasting. And just a quick side note, the definition that you find of so-called clean fasting or so-called dirty fasting could vary a lot depending on whom you ask, but this is just my perspective. So let me go ahead and start with a story. The very first time that I ever did a prolonged fast was, I guess it was in early 2017, and I didn't really know what I was doing, (laughs) quote-unquote. Um, So I I just, you know, looked a few things up online and found a couple examples and a few explanations about different things related to the physiology of fasting, and then I made a decision to do it a certain way. And what I decided to do was really a modified fast or a dirty fast or even something you might call a fasting mimicking diet when you're still kind of eating some food but calling it fasting. And that's because I decided to have about 200 calories a day including a substantial amount of protein. And so what I did is I used, on some of the days I used a can of tuna fish that I would mix with a little bit of, maybe a really small amount of mayonnaise and a little bit of honey mustard, so some things like that to make it more palatable. And on the other days I had a little bit of this specific type of, I guess it was a plant-based protein powder that I had at the time. And so that's what I consumed each day. Again, about 200 calories a day. And I did it for five days. And some of the things I noticed during that fast, well, it was the first time I ever did a prolonged fast. So, so I was a little fatigued, my energy was a little low, my body wasn't really used to it at all. But another thing I noticed was that my ketones were off the charts. I was using these urine test strips to check my pee every once in a while. And after about a day and a half or so, The the color on the test strips was dark, dark purple every time. So it was as high as it could possibly be, at least with that particular type of test. I also noticed that my weight was dropping a little bit each day. So it seemed to be going in the right direction because I was a little bit overweight when I started that fast. So that was the first time I ever did a prolonged fast. And the reason I bring that story up is because obviously that was not a clean fast. I was, I was eating food, for crying out loud, so it, it definitely wasn't a clean fast. It was more of a modified or dirty fast, or even, like I said, more of like a fasting-mimicking diet, but clearly my body was getting into fat-burning mode, because my ketones were sky-high, and anytime your ketones are really high, you know that you're basically in fat-burning mode, and what I mean is that under certain conditions, including when you don't eat for a while your body fat starts releasing more of its contents, which are called fatty acids, and they get into your bloodstream, you use those for energy, and then your liver turns some of them into ketones. So if your ketones are high, you know you're releasing some fat and using it for energy. So even though I was doing a modified fast, that was clearly occurring. And that makes sense since my weight was kind of going down and my ketones were really high. Now in retrospect, because I was eating a fair amount of protein every day, I was probably kind of preventing my body from doing a lot of autophagy, one of those benefits of extended fasting that I mentioned in in the previous episode when I talked about some exciting benefits of extended fasting. So now I know that protein is probably the main thing that prevents autophagy if you're eating protein. But in the past, I didn't really know that. So depending on what I was trying to accomplish, that first prolonged fast that I did could have been considered a success or not a success. But clearly it was a success because I got some benefits from it and I learned a lot about me and my body and and what it was like to do some fasting. So with that as a backdrop, let me go ahead and talk a little bit about clean fasting first and then dirty or modified fasting, what's included in each, and the pros and cons of each. So let's start with clean fasting. So generally speaking, if you talk about clean fasting, Here's what you would be consuming. And if I didn't mention it before, this is mainly relevant to extended fasting when you do a day or more, but it kind of still applies if you're doing shorter fasts. It's just a little bit more relevant if you're doing the longer fasts. So during clean fasting, you would drink water and you would consume salt, and that's the simplest version. But you could also get some other electrolytes like um, magnesium and potassium. As long as whatever electrolyte supplement you're using doesn't have any sweeteners or any flavors, and in most cases you would also be able to consume black coffee and unsweetened tea. So coffee and tea without anything added to them would generally be considered acceptable during a so-called clean fast. So what's the point of a clean fast? Why do you, why do people want to strive to do a clean fast? Well, there are a few advantages. One is that since you're not taking in any energy, you're taking in no energy at all, obviously you're going to allow your body to use its own body fat for energy. Since you're not really taking in anything with a lot of flavors, other than maybe the coffee and tea, but if it's black coffee and unsweetened tea, then it's not a lot of flavor. Since you're not taking in a lot of things with flavors or sweeteners, you're most likely not going to have a lot of cravings because any sort of flavor or sweetener can stimulate cravings. Since you're still consuming some salt and other electrolytes, that can help keep your energy up. And this clean fast is good for some of those benefits of extended fasting, like autophagy, or if you were trying to reset your immune system because you have an autoimmune condition, for example. But what, what are the disadvantages of a clean fast? Well, basically the disadvantage is that you're less likely to actually do it. (laughs) Because it's a little bit more challenging, it's a little bit more daunting, more intimidating, then you're less likely to ever start in the first place because you might just feel intimidated. But also you're you're less likely to get through it if you're not very experienced and you, you plan to do a five day fast or a three day fast and you're like, okay, I'm gonna do this clean fast where I'm just gonna drink water and have some salt on a spoon every once in a while to get my little bit of extra salt and maybe have some black coffee. And, and you do that and then maybe you start to feel fatigued or whatever and you give up halfway through. Well, that's the main disadvantage is that you may not actually do it. <laughs> so whenever, you know, it's like, like they say about exercise, the best exercise regimen for you is one that you'll actually do. Because a lot of people get these really ambitious goals when it comes to exercise, especially with New Year's resolutions, but then they don't follow through or they give, they give up after like two days because they tried to do too much. So I'm not against clean fasting at all. I just think for most beginners, it's better to do something where you're allowed a little more flexibility. So just to finish kind of the definition of clean fasting, generally it would not include any sweeteners or anything with flavors, including natural flavors or artificial flavors. And it wouldn't include any food, makes sense, right? And nothing with carbonation either, and no alcohol. So those are some of the things that people ask about, uh, which would which would all be excluded um, from a so-called clean fast. So I already kind of covered the pros and the cons, but let's go ahead and jump into dirty fasting, also known as modified fasting, and maybe some other terms as well. So what's included in a dirty fast? Well, everything that I mentioned above in the clean fast list is included in dirty fasting as well. So things like water, salt, electrolyte supplements without sweeteners, etc., coffee and tea. But then we're going to add a few more things. So in addition to all of that, if we're doing a dirty fast, we would be more flexible about our sources of salt and other electrolytes. So for example, I frequently use salt sources such as bouillon cubes, soy sauce, or broth, like veggie broth. Those things are very high in sodium and have almost no calories, but they do have a little bit of this and that, and they have a tiny bit of carbohydrates and a tiny bit of protein, which means that if you're trying to have a really strict fast, a really so-called clean fast, then you wouldn't necessarily use those particular supplements. But I find them easier to use, and I find that the benefits outweigh the uh, disadvantages, basically, when I do it that way. So in addition to more flexible sources of salt, you would have more flexible sources of other electrolytes, because sometimes there are certain electrolyte supplements that have some other flavors or something added in, and maybe even a little bit of a sweetener um, for some, some drink that has magnesium and potassium in it and whatnot that has some of those other things added in. And in general, even if you're doing a dirty fast, it's better to avoid sweeteners and anything with a lot of flavor to it because they certainly can stimulate cravings and make it harder for you to keep going. So that's the one big caveat is, is it's just always better to avoid sweeteners if you can. But if you try it out and you have something that has a sweetener in it and you're, and you're feeling okay and you keep going, then it's not the end of the world. The other big thing that's included in dirty fasting is training wheels, what I often call training wheels. And I kind of picked that term up from Megan Ramos. Training wheels are basically small amounts of certain types of food, types of food that are low in carbohydrates and are more uh, mainly have protein and fat, protein and or fat, and that are fairly unprocessed. So they're not going to spike your blood sugar or spike your insulin or anything like that and in small amounts. So small amounts of these particular types of food. And so what you can do is you can eat just a tiny bit of food sometimes and not really have it disrupt your fast that much, and so still be able to get a lot of the health benefits of fasting. And so things that, common examples that I would tell to a beginner would be chia seeds. So say you're on your first full day of a three-day fast, and you start to feel Fatigued and you start to feel a little off, and maybe you have a tiny bit of a headache or something, and you're like, "Ooh, this isn't quite going the way I wanted." So in addition to getting some extra salt and some other extra electrolytes, another good thing would be to maybe have a bowl of chia seeds. So how do you do that? You take one or two tablespoons and you put it in the bowl, and then you mix in some water, maybe about one cup of water, but you can just kind of eyeball it and, and once you get some experience, it's really easy. So you put the water in there, and you let it sit for at least 10 minutes. You might have to stir it around a little bit to get the chia seeds to absorb the water. But basically, after it sit after it sits for several minutes, you can sprinkle some salt on it if you want, and then you eat the chia seeds. And the great thing about them is they are digested very slowly because they have a lot of fat and a lot of fiber. So you're going to digest them very slowly, but they'll give you this tiny, tiny, tiny little bump in your blood sugar that'll maybe help you feel a little bit closer to normal and make it easier to keep fasting. So that's chia seeds. Great option. Another thing you could use would be bone broth. That's a popular option for beginners as a so-called training wheel. It has quite a bit of protein, so I don't really think it's optimal, but um, but it's a reasonable option if you just want something to kind of tide you over. Another thing I've used sometimes is olives. So just like a handful of olives, Because olives are mostly fat, but they have that tiny amount of carbohydrate, so they can give you that minuscule boost to your blood sugar that's not really going to disrupt your fast that much, but it can just help you feel a tiny bit better. And the nice thing about olives is they usually have a lot of salt as well. So that's another advantage. Another example would be pecans. So pecans are a type of nut that is very high in fat and very low in both carbohydrates and protein. And so if you have just a really small, like half a serving, let's say, of pecans, really small amount, it'll also give you that tiny little blood sugar boost, but also give you a little extra fat and protein to kind of digest and, and utilize, and give you that little boost to keep going. So it's these small amounts of these specific types of food that can kind of carry you along, and that's why they're called training wheels. Just like a kid who's riding a bike, you don't want him to fall over constantly. Well, if you're new to fasting, we don't want you to have to quit constantly. So use the training wheels to get through if you need to. And that's dirty fasting or modified fasting. And that's, that's one of the main advantages, one of the main benefits, is that you're more likely to get through it because you have more flexibility and more tools that you can use. So that's why I think it's really good for beginners and it's more practical when you're first starting out. The, the one big caveat, which I'll just repeat one time, is anything that has sweeteners or any sort of so-called natural flavors or artificial flavors is not really a good idea, at least until you know your body really well. You mainly want to avoid sweeteners, anything sweet or anything particularly flavorful, because it might stimulate some cravings or make you feel more hungry, and then you might end up wanting to quit your fast just because of that. So even if you're doing a so-called dirty or modified fast, it's generally better not to have things that are sweet, like diet soda, for example. Because it might just be too much. It might give you too many cravings and make it too hard to keep going. So, what about me? What kind of fasting do I generally do? Well, I rarely do a clean fast unless I'm doing like short term daily fasting. But if I'm doing a prolonged fast, I almost always do a modified fast or a dirty fast. And that's because it's so much easier. And yet, I can probably get 80 or 90% of the health benefits that I would get from doing clean fasting. And when I say that, of course, I mean, I'm not going to use a ton of training wheels all the time. I'm not using like large quantities of bone broth every day or something like that. I'm using just enough to get, get through whatever the time interval is, it's especially that first day or two of a long fast when when it's really helpful to have the training wheels available. And then I'm more flexible about my salt sources because I, u- I do use things like bullion Broth and soy sauce, for example, to get a lot of extra salt during the fasting, and salt is really the main key to like keeping energy up and, and just feeling focused and feeling good. Because if you don't get extra salt, you're losing some salt in your urine every day, and your blood pressure is gradually getting lower, and you might, might start to feel dizzy, you might get a headache, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So generally speaking, I do kind of a hybrid. I do a pretty clean fast and use just enough of my flexible salt sources and just enough of training wheels to get through depending on the circumstances. For example, if I'm already on a ketogenic diet, I won't need as many training wheels because my ketones will come up more quickly. But if I'm not already in ketosis or on a ketogenic diet, then I might need a few more training wheels to get through the very first part of the fast, the first two days or so. And basically when I do this pretty clean fast, but not totally clean, this, this dirty fasting, but not overdoing it, I, I think that's kind of an 80-20. It's 20% as difficult, and it gets you about 80% of the results. So that's why I would call it the 80-20, and also a really good option for beginners and really practical. So earlier I told you about the very first prolonged fast that I ever did. And it was a modified fast. I was consuming quite a bit of protein, actually, you know, tuna fish and this protein powder. And I wouldn't do that now because now I know that I don't really want to be consuming a lot of protein during my fast, even if I'm using something that I would call training wheels and doing a dirty fast. So let me tell you about one other prolonged fast that I did. So I've mentioned this one a few times. It's because it's the longest one I've done. It was 10 days long a few years ago. And I've done seven-day fasts several times, but this 10-day fast, it was the longest one I did. And it was really remarkable. I had already done a few other prolonged fasts, so I had quite a bit of experience. But what was remarkable about it is I made a point of getting a lot of extra salt. And I had a lot of bouillon, and I had a lot of broth, and I had a lot of dill pickles. So I was getting tons of extra salt, probably like four or five grams of sodium per day. So that's quite a bit. And I wasn't really using other training wheels, hardly at all, like chia seeds or what have you, maybe the very first day or something. But after that, it was pretty much just all these extra salt sources. And so overall, I was probably still consuming less than 100 calories per day, even with all the different bullion and broth and everything that I was consuming. But what I noticed is that after a couple of days, I was in this almost continuous state of euphoria. I was so, my mood was so positive. It was really easy to focus. Now, my physical energy did kind of wax and wane, kind of went up and down throughout the day, just depending on the time of day and maybe some other variables. But overall, I felt really good. I also noticed that my ketones were super high, just like they had been on that other fast that I mentioned. And my blood sugar was very low because at this point, I was actually checking my blood sugar routinely. And I noticed that my blood sugar actually You know, at first it was like in the 80s and then the 70s, and it gradually worked its way down to the 50s, and even sometimes it was in the 40s. Now, if I wasn't doing a long fast, that would sound like a dangerously low number, but because I was doing a prolonged fast, it made sense because ketones were kind of coming up and becoming the alternative energy source for my brain, so I didn't really need to have a high blood sugar. But what that showed was that even though I was doing this so-called dirty fast, it was pretty easy to keep going. The salt helped a lot. My ketones were really high. My blood sugar was really low. And so I was getting a lot of those health benefits, like having lower blood sugar, lower insulin, burning a lot more fat. I was getting a lot of those health benefits and the positive mood, the elevated mood. And I was doing that without having to have a super clean or super strict fast. Now, was I getting a lot of autophagy during those 10 days? I would say yes. I would say even though I was being more flexible about having a little soy sauce or a little bullion with one gram of protein here or there, it was a small enough amount that it probably didn't make that big of a difference in the amount of autophagy that was happening in my body. Now, that's just speculation, of course, because I can't measure that. You really can't measure autophagy at all unless you're in some special lab. But I don't. I don't think that I was completely preventing the autophagy. And what about my immune system? Did it break down and recycle after about five days of fasting? Probably, probably to a significant degree because my caloric intake was so low for so long that it probably still reacted almost as if I'd been doing a very strict, clean fast. Not 100%, but maybe 80 or 90% to that degree. And that's that's just my opinion. I I think I probably got about 90% of the same health benefits that I would have if I'd done a very clean or strict fast during those 10 days. And ultimately, that's why I think dirty fasting or modified fasting is a really good idea for beginners. So usually I do an episode summary, but instead, why don't we kind of do it in like a quiz format? We'll try this out. So basically, I'm going to ask you a question, and then wait just a moment for you to think about it, and then I'll kind of answer it. And we'll use that to kind of, kind of summarize the topic. So what is considered acceptable during a so-called clean fast? What are you able to consume during a clean fast? So think about that for just a second. So generally speaking, clean fasting would include water, salt, other electrolyte supplements without any sweeteners or flavors, and generally also black coffee and unsweetened tea. What are the pros and cons of a clean fast? Well, the pros or the advantages of a clean fast are that you're not taking in any energy, so you can use your own body fat as your primary energy source. You're not taking in anything that's likely to stimulate cravings or hunger, so you probably won't get those weird cravings that you might if you were drinking diet soda or something like that and that you may be a little more likely to get some of those special benefits of extended fasting, like autophagy or resetting your immune system, to name a couple of examples. Okay, so what about dirty fasting? What's considered acceptable during a dirty or modified fast? Well, in addition to the water, salt, other electrolytes, coffee, and tea, You'd also have some more flexibility about how to get your electrolytes. So you could use these other salty things, like the dill pickles, the soy sauce, the bouillon, the broth. You could also potentially use training wheels, which are really small amounts of food to help tide you over, as I explained earlier. And you could also potentially have things that have sweeteners or a lot of additional natural flavors, artificial flavors, etc., Though that's not really recommended regardless unless you know your own body really well and know that it's not going to throw you off kilter. What are the advantages and disadvantages of doing a dirty fast or a modified fast? Well, the main advantage is that you're more likely to actually do it. You're more likely to start and you're more likely to succeed at getting through a multi-day fast, even as a beginner. Another advantage is you can still get most of the same health benefits you would if you're doing a more clean or a more strict fast. For example, if your main goal is to lower your blood sugar, lower your insulin, or lose weight, you can definitely do all of those things. The disadvantage of dirty fasting is that you might not burn quite as much of your own body fat if you're consuming some other things, and that sometimes some of the things that you consume could give you a little bit of hunger or cravings or whatnot and make it a little harder to keep going, especially if you're using something with sweeteners or with added flavors. You also might be, at least theoretically, less likely to get as much autophagy or some of those other special cellular type benefits that you can get from extended fasting. But overall, I would say dirty fasting is basically the 80-20. It's 20% is difficult and you get 80% of the benefit. Now, those numbers aren't exact, and it would be different for each person, right, how hard it is to do a clean fast versus a dirty fast. It also depends on how experienced you are. The more experienced you get, the easier it would be to do it without having to use something like training wheels. But in general, you can get most of the benefits without it being as difficult. So I mentioned at the beginning, I have a dirty fasting guide or cheat sheet that I'm going to share with you. So it'll provide an overview of the differences between clean fasting and dirty fasting, some specific recommendations of what you can use during each, as well as mentioning the pros and cons of each. So if you want to get that, this will be kind of a funny URL. It's fastingwell.com dirty. <laughs> so kind of, kind of funny, but at least it's memorable, right? So fastingwell.com dirty, D-I-R-T-Y. I have just one other thing to ask of you, which is if you're finding this information helpful, either in this episode or any of the episodes, please share it with at least one other person. That helps so much. That is one of the things you can do that's the most helpful. In addition to leaving a review and subscribing, if you can share it with at least one other person so you can help get the word out, then little by little, that'll help more and more people learn about the health benefits of fasting and how they can put it in practice so we can get more people on the path towards being in control of their health and not having all those terrible complications of diabetes and other related health conditions. So please share it with at least one other person. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Fasting Well Podcast. The Fasting Well Podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the need to consult with your own medical providers.